0: So tonight we're, we're reading from Judges chapter 5, and it's verses 1 to 31. That's Judges 5, 1 to 31. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings, listen, you rulers, I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook. The heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travellers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates, but not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories of his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up, break out in song. Arise, Barak, take captive your captives, son of Abinoim. The remnant of the nobles came down. The people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Makar, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the terraced fields. Kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought. Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no plunder of silver. From the heavens the stars fought, from the courses they fought against Sisera. The river Kishan swept them away, the age-old river, the river Kishan, March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horses' hooves, galloping, galloping. Go his mighty steeds, curse Mera's! said the angel of the Lord, curse its people bitterly because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jail, the wife of Heber the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for a noble, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Cicera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell. There he lay. At her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell. Dead. Through the window peered Cicera's mother. Behind them, lattice, she cried out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answer her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A woman or two for each man? Colourful garments as plunder for Sisera? Colourful garments, embroidered, highly embroidered garments for my neck? All this is plunder? So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace for 40 years.
1: Oh, thank you so much for reading so well, Rachel. I did wonder, knowing how much you love singing, whether you might have sung through (laughs) Judges chapter 5. And thank you so much, Ella, for for praying. It just seems to me a bit of a ladies' evening tonight. We've had Ella referencing Mary's song, Rachel um, reading, and now Deborah's song. Let me pray. Dear Father God, we do thank you, as indeed we've already thanked you, for this great opportunity of coming uh, to worship amongst fellow believers, our brothers and sisters, but also to listen to your word. And I pray that you will help me as I seek to uh, teach and draw out um, messages for us from this passage, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So a question, are you grieved or are you relieved? After the sword in the belly in chapter 3 and the tent peg in the temple in chapter 4, did you come this evening with great anticipation, wondering what deadly weapon would be sank deep into what part of his anatomy? Are you profoundly disappointed or are there others like me? relieved that we haven't had to endure a similar episode, albeit we've been reminded of the shattered temple. I have to admit to being a little bit squeamish, I prefer blood remaining where it ought to be. Um, I proudly displayed immense courage for all my COVID jabs, not expecting any pain or not expecting to see any blood. But here in the accounts of the deaths of very fat King Eglon, and of Cicero, and imagining the awful scene of each of those murders was totally different. I felt distinctly comfortable, and I'm glad that I was not present either, although David's portrayal of Eglin's downfall caused me to think that I was actually there. (laughs) If If you're not here two weeks ago, and if you've got the stomach for it, do listen to David's message. But I was thinking about them again yesterday, and my mind turned to our Lord's death. And I've realised that I'm so accustomed to the account of his death that I'm not disturbed by it one bit, even though crucifixion is considered to be the most barbaric, torturous and humiliating of deaths ever conceived by mankind. And even though he was beaten so brutally even before he was nailed to the cross. And as we come to the Lord's Supper later, I hope that we will take time to reflect on just how much our Saviour suffered. But to our passage, uh, you will need no reminder of the theme of the book of Judges, the continued cycle of rebellion against God's rule, reflected in the recurring phrases, first, The people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And second, every man did what was right in their own eyes. God's response was that he sold them into the hands of their enemies. That's the phrase that we've seen in chapter 3, verse 8, and chapter 4, verse 2. But each time the people eventually cried out to the Lord, he raised up a deliverer to rescue them from their enemy. And lead the people back to him. But sadly, it was a continued cycle. The people returned to doing what was right in their own eyes and evil in the Lord's eyes. Last Sunday evening, Andy reminded us of words of King David in Psalm 103, and one of the songs reminded us of um, one of the phrases earlier The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. Abounding in love, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. Sadly, the people of Israel often forgot this truth about God's character for long periods. But once again, they woke up to the reality of it, as they experienced his love and mercy and in delivering them out of the hand of Jabin. And chapter 5 is a song of praise, as, we've, as Rachel's read to us, as Deborah and Barak pour out their thanks to God, as they recognise that he was their deliverer, their deliverance drove them to praise God, who, because he is compassionate and gracious and abounding in love, did not treat them as they deserved. So let us remember daily and never let it slip from our minds from whom we have been delivered from the hand of Satan. And let that truth drive us to a continual out- outpouring of praise to our almighty deliverer. We work our way. I'm encouraged by a couple of people's comments this evening that this is a difficult passage. I found it a difficult passage. It would be helpful to work our way uh, through this uh, one or two verses at a time. Um, And, of course, the song reminds us of Moses' song 400 years earlier. For that, too, was a song of celebration uh, for the Israelites' deliverance. Uh, He was supported by Miriam and other women with their timbrels and dancing. As they praised God for delivering the Israelites from the hand of Pharaoh. In fact, there's something of a pattern in the Bible. Those who sing to God often do so in recognition uh, and as a response to God delivering them. You might think that one exception was Paul and Silas singing while in prison, not after they got out, although I'm sure they resumed singing after their release. But they had been delivered, even in prison, they realised that they had been delivered. Most importantly, they had been delivered from the guilt of their sins. I was reminded of a verse from Proverbs 29, verse 6. Evildoers are snared by their own sin, but the righteous shout or sing for joy and are glad. And who are the righteous? Those who are no longer snared by their sin. So that's a great uh, verse to remember. If we are the righteous, who are no longer snared by our sin, it should stir us to sing for joy, whatever struggles we might be facing. So, to this passage eventually, verses 2 and 3. When the princes, and I think it's on page 246 in, in the Bible. Verse 2, when the princes in Israel take the lead, when the w- people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. I love this verse 2. It gives us a key reason why Deborah was praising God, because he brought together leaders who wanted to lead and people who willingly served with the leaders. Who volunteered? There was no professional army at that time. The leaders were dependent upon volunteers and they were not disappointed. We're told here that people willingly offered themselves, although we will see later that that was not true of all the tribes. And this is what we need in our churches so desperately, leaders who recognise their calling and responsibility to lead and people who recognise their calling and responsibility to support their leaders. How desperately sad when churches cannot function and cannot fulfil the Great Commission because either leaders are not leading or people are not willing, willingly offering to serve themselves. When leaders and people are of one mind and purpose and work together together, There is every reason to praise the Lord. Verse 3 Hear this, you kings, listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. And this, Deborah, is really addressing to the kings and princes of the defeated Canaanites. It might be seen as taunting a beaten enemy, but more importantly, Deborah is declaring that she is praising the Lord, the God of Israel, because he brought about the victory. Verses 4 and 5. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. Deborah here is recounting the power the Lord displayed at Mount Sinai at the time he gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. The whole mountain trembled violently. Deborah was making a comparison with the Lord's intervention in giving the victory over the Canaanites, which we will see later in the song. in verses 6 to 8, we see something about how Israel uh, had been oppressed. Verses 6 and 7. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travellers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I, arose a mother in Israel. We get a glimpse of the desolate state of Israel uh, under the oppression of the Canaanites. The people had abandoned using the main highways. They were far too dangerous with the bandits patrolling them. And so the people were forced to use um, the little used paths. And Deborah explains that she responded to God's call to her. I don't interpret this in any sense that she was boasting. She was both a a prophetess and a judge. We've told that in chapter 4. And her principal role as judge was to be a military leader, to be the nation's deliverer from their oppressors. She speaks of herself as being a mother in Israel. Was she speaking literally or figuratively? figuratively, or possibly both. I think it was probably both. We know that she was married and may well have had her own children. But she is surely reflecting her genuine affection for Israel and its people. It wasn't just a duty, but it was a a longing uh, because she loved her her nation. And then verse 8. God chose new leaders... When war came to the city gates, but not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Now verse, verse eight is a bit of a mystery to me. A god chose new leaders. I checked other translations, and more than 40 other translations um, translate it as "When new gods were chosen, when the people chose new gods. Then war was in the gates. And only about five other translations support the NIV's statement. Um, Yes, God did choose new leaders when war came to the city gates. But what the NIV is saying is true insofar as God did raise up new leaders when the people finally cried out to them. But I think I, I tend to go along with the other translations and with all the commentators which suggest um, what is being said, should be saying here, is when the people followed new gods, when they followed, indulged in idolatry, it provoked God to give them into the hands of their enemies. There were more attacks on their city gates. So I think that is what verse... Uh, Most commentators think that verse 8 means that that when the people chose new gods, Uh, some might disagree with me and will challenge me later, Um, but I have several commentators who would support my view. And then it says, But not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. So why was there such an absence of shields and spears? Again, there are three uh, possible um, answers to that. Possibly the people of Israel just had neglected their armory and it was just unusable. And there is a thought, well, they may have had it, but they just didn't have the courage to use it. And the third possibility is that the Canaanites had totally disarmed uh, the Israelites and it was true that they had no uh, shield or spear uh, to, be, to be used. And then in verses 9 um, verses 9 to uh, 11 the message here is of Deborah Telling the people uh, to go and tell of the victory. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voices of, the, sing- the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories of his villagers in Israel. Deborah wants a song of praise to be spread across the nation. She instructs both the rich and the noble. Those were those who would have white donkeys. Uh, That was a sign of wealth and importance. And also the poor, who had no donkeys, who just had to walk everywhere. Uh, Deborah's message was then, to make known across the nation at the victory and the fact that the victory was the Lord's. She wants everyone to be engaged in spreading the news of the victory. So in these first 11 verses, Deborah has poured out her praise to God. She has commended leaders and the people And she has charged the people, both the rich and the poor, to spread the news of the Lord's victory across the nation. And now she speaks about how the victory was achieved. She begins with the call that she as a prophetess received from the Lord and the instructions she gave to Barak. She was charged with leading the Israelites, Israelite captives into battle, Against their captors to become free once again. In verse 12, wake up, wake up, Deborah, wake up, wake up, break out in song. Arise, Barak, take captive your captives, son of Abiniam. And then in verses 13 to 18, uh, the different tribes are mentioned. Deborah records the tribes who responded to the call to battle. And those who didn't are named and shamed. We see in verse 17, uh, Reuben um, is one of the tribes. There was much searching of heart, we read in verse 15 and again in verse 16. The suggestion is that they were thinking about it and pondering about it, having meetings about it. And finally, they decided, or by default, they didn't join the battle. They were indecisive. They couldn't agree what to do and ended up staying at home. Gilead, in verses 17 and 18, three more are named who stayed behind. Gilead, Dan, and Asher. These three tribes were at some distance from the main uh, area where the the oppression was taking place. They were less affected by the Canaanites' oppression, and they may well have taken the view, we don't really need to be involved. The Canaanites are not such a problem for us. And then, finally, we get to a recount, uh, an account of, of the battle itself. And interestingly, there's some information here which is not in... Um, in, not in chapter 4, verse 19. Kings came, they fought, the kings of Canaan fought. At Tainuch by the waters of Megiddo, they took no plunder of silver. From the heavens, the stars fought, from their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away, the age old river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hooves, galloping, galloping, go his mighty steeds. In chapter 4, there was only mention of Sisera, uh, that's Jabin's commander. Um, uh, but now we're told that the, uh, there were other kings of Canaan also engaged in the battle. And these would have been kings who ruled over their own states under Jabin's overall authority. Verse 19 describes a battle at a fortified city called Tanakh, just southeast of Megiddo, where many famous battles have taken place. It is the place referred to as Armageddon in the book of Revelation. And so it is here where the battle of Armageddon will take place. And what does it mean in verse 20? That the stars fought. As God was considered to be the only one in control of the heavens, it suggests that he was engaged with his people in the battle. And specifically, in verse 21, he caused the heavens to open with a torrential downfall, uh, causing the river Kishon to flood, uh, creating havoc in the valley for the Canaanite chariots. You may recall from chapter 4 that Sisera got out of his chariot and fled on foot. I don't think it explains in chapter 4 why that happened, but it was undoubtedly the chariots got stuck in the mud uh, and Sisera uh, abandoned his chariot and uh, uh, fled on foot. We saw that in, in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 15. And then we get to verse 23. uh, Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. We've just read that three tribes are mentioned, four tribes are mentioned here who did not uh, join in the battle. But they were not cursed. But in verse 23... Uh, the people of Meroz were cursed. There are two theories for the curse. Possibly they'd established an alliance with the Canaanites and the other is that the people of Meroz had been in a position to stop Sisera from escaping from the battle but chose not to do so. And then from verse Twenty-four, and this we, we are reminded of Jael's Jail's, um, involvement in this battle. Deborah now turns to bless Jael. She featured in the victory, uh, and the Lord used her. We might have wondered last week what sort of person Jael was. We read her of offering Sisera her tent, supposedly as a place of refuge. Um, and We might have had doubts that she, whether, was this an evil woman murdering a, a poor guy whom she's supposedly um, hiding and giving refuge to? But any thoughts that she committed such an evil act um, are now dismissed because she is blessed Verse 24, most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. Sisera was evil. He had tormented the Israelites. I think it's safe to assume from verse 30, uh, we'll see in a moment, that he had a reputation for taking women captive. And what was Jael's motive for acting as she did? It was not out of personal hatred. It was not because she had this um, murderous streak in her. She seized the opportunity to strike down a hated, wicked, dangerous enemy. And this was despite the fact that she was not an Israelite herself. And despite the fact that her husband, Heber, had made a peace agreement with the Canaanite king Jabin. So in a sense, she was a bit of a traitor to her own husband, but she acted out of obedience to the Lord and for the good of his people. The blessing jail um, received was not simply another woman's blessing. Deborah is speaking through this song as a prophetess and so through her God himself is blessed in jail for her action in killing Sisera for the benefit of those who are eager to hear again what happened in jail's tent I will leave aside my personal wishes and read verses 25 to 27 again enjoy it he asked For water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. And then the scene changes as Deborah imagines Sisera's mother at home, anxious that her son had not yet returned. It's not true to say that she's a, a grieving mother at this point. She's just simply an anxious mother. We read in verse 28, Through the window peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice she cried out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answer her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A woman or two for each man. Colourful garments as plunder for Sisera. Colourful garments embroidered. Highly embroidered garments for my neck. All this as plunder. We mustn't feel too much sympathy for Sisera's mother. She was fully aware of how her son had caused such havoc amongst the Israelites, of the Israelite mothers grieving the loss of their own sons, and the mothers grieving over daughters raped by Sisera and his men. And Deborah brings her song to a close by expressing two wishes that really requests to God uh, in verse 31. May all your enemies perish, O Lord, is the first request. And secondly, in stark contrast, may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Deborah asked the Lord that those who honour him be like the sun, rising in might, bringing heat and light while remaining untouchable. Today there are those two groups of people, those who are the enemies of God and those who honour him. And what is it that separates those two groups? It is sin, unrepented sin, Let me remind you of Proverbs 29, 6. Evildoers are snared by their own sin, but the righteous shout shout for joy and are glad. The righteous are those who have repented of their sin, have been redeemed and made righteous by the blood of Christ. They are those who love and honour the Lord. And Deborah ends her song of praise with those requests. And the passage ends with a footnote, really. Then the land had peace for 40 years. Was that good news or bad news? Well, it was good news for 40 years, but then another tragic episode. As once again, the people forgot about how the Lord had been good to them over so many years. Once again, they began, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, And every man did what was right in their own eyes. As it is a ladies evening, perhaps it's appropriate to speak of another woman whom God used to bring many people to Christ. Thousands, no doubt. Last Sunday morning, uh, Rachel spoke to the children about the Salvation Army and William and Catherine Booth. I picked up this story this week of Kate Booth, the eldest daughter Um, Kate Booth introduced the Salvation Army to France but she and her team faced faced great hostility. In Paris, the police prevented them from handing out leaflets and so they wore or carried sandwich boards. Uh, It's even worse than what London is now. They were often pelted with mud and stones and men even tried to use their bonnet strings to strangle the women. But Kate and her friends persevered over many years and had the joy of seeing thousands come to Christ. On one occasion when on a train another passenger engaged Kate in conversation and proudly declared, and I go to church every week. To which Kate replied, is that all you do for a dying world? And that man was typical of those tribes of Israel who heard the call to battle, but stayed at home. It was for people like him that the Apostle James wrote, be doers of the word and not hearers only. I picked up a comment from a Bible teacher this week who suggested that there are three types of people. Those who engage in making things happen. Those who engage in watching things happen. And those who haven't a clue what is happening. I'm sure there's nobody here in that third camp who doesn't know what is happening. There is a battle raging. Uh, It's a reminder to some of us of a song we used to sing a number of years ago. And this battle will continue to rage until Satan is finally defeated. And we need the likes of Kate Booth rather than the likes of her fellow traveller who satisfies himself with just going to church every week. So I close with two questions. If you've been delivered from the guilt of your sins by trusting Jesus, will you regularly, even daily, follow Deborah's example and sing or shout praise to him? Will you praise him for every victory and every blessing? And secondly, will you join the battle to save a dying world? Will you point others to Jesus who can deliver them from their guilt, from the guilt of their sins? Let me pray and then we'll spend a moment or two after that just reflect upon those two questions uh, before we sing. Oh, Father God, we just pray that you'll help us to be people who recognise your goodness, who daily recognise that we have been delivered from the guilt of our sin. And, Father, we pray that we might be people who daily worship you, who sing our praises to you, who recognise the victory in our lives, who recognise the many blessings that you poured out to us. And, Father, as we recognise uh, that victory in our lives. Father, we pray that we might be those who want to join the battle to save a dying world, that we might point others to Jesus who need, uh, who need repentance of their sins. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I suggest that we just take a, a moment to reflect upon that and then Shaq will lead us.